What's up, listeners? It's your boy, Uncle Elite. All right, no, it's uh, it's it's Vyas. Uh, no more jokes, at least for the short introduction. Uh, nobody's gonna be able to interrupt, interrupt me here, not even myself. Um, and also, geez, I would never do that accent. Is it an accent? Man, I don't even know. Anyways, in this episode, we review Ice Guardians. It's a compelling documentary about enforcers in the National Hockey League from about four years ago. And as usual, at Rocks of Fever, we do this instead of discussing pressing hockey news, like, say, how the Canucks made a 2014 playoffs, and whether the Wild are a tough adversary, and whether Jake Furtanen should continue to have a driver's license and terrorize South Fraser Way. But before we do that, and seriously, this was a really fun episode, possibly one of our best. We had Cody Sievertson on. Uh... We decided, uh, with the support of Elliot and Jackson, that I would have a quick word for our listeners and our donors, and to make to them, to make to you, a request. This week has been an extremely tough one for black life on Turtle Island, but it is only so uniquely felt within the 500 years of colonialism and white terrorism that black life has had to struggle through for basic dignity and survival. This week in particular, in a context where black people suffered dramatically worse consequences of COVID-19 than most groups, indigenous peoples notwithstanding, that white terrorism is seen so clearly in the form of the institution of policing. Police occupy our streets and inflict the greatest pain on black and indigenous people. It is not a glitch in their operating system. It is part of their historical and modern duty to protect and serve capital and the life that controls it. To do that, they discipline the life underneath it. Life that is so often racialized, so often black. Life that actually provides the fuel. They do this in Minneapolis, in New York, in Toronto. They do this on the Yinta, the land of the Wet'suwet'en. And they do this in the downtown east side of what we call Vancouver, British Columbia. Police do this to Breonna Taylor in Kentucky. They do this to George Floyd in Minneapolis. They did it to Tony McDade in Tallahassee. And they, for all that we know, failed to save Regis Korchinski Paquet in Toronto. This is from just the last two weeks, a tiny, tiny fraction of the names that we need to be saying. Today, across dozens and dozens of cities in what we know as North America, police, who are the truly violent rioters, are killing and maiming mostly black unarmed demonstrators, flashing literal symbols of white supremacy beyond just their badges, and doing so with impunity on a scale that we have not seen in some time. This is who the police are. We need to do away with them structurally, or else we risk the further murder and suffering of black people. There's a lot more that can be said, but I don't want to express the anti-police sentiment in the foreground. The point, though, is that black lives matter, and we need to show our care and belief in that statement with our actions. So we want to say that the least action you can take, which we've been asking people on our Twitter account at Roxy Fever, is to put your money where your mouth is, if you can. Jackson, Elliot, and myself have been donating to causes including local groups that engage in direct service provision to black people in British Columbia, mutual aid organizations in the United States, funeral expenses for people like Tony McDade, and bail funds for protesters in Toronto. And the thread that we will pin regarding these donations is a Google Doc link to many more resources, which we encourage you to go pick through, uh, uh, to go through and pick for yourself. So please. Whether it is while you listen to the episode, or if you can take a break now, or if you decide to wait until after, please give what you can, if you can, or else, to be honest, and we are prone to doing the same thing as settlers alike, your words of solidarity are trite. We hope you enjoy this episode, and we hope you can join us in contributing. Thank you. 
I, I love that we're doing this episode right in the midst of there being actual hockey news. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, things. Yeah, like the moment, the exact moment I was like, okay, there's no hockey news. I'm just going to come up with a thing to do an episode about. A bunch of shit happens. <laughs> so uh, it's going to be funny to completely ignore it for a week. Oh, Meg, I, 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 that, I, I love that Pooley thing so much. It was, it was the easiest thing to respond to. Uh, absolutely. It ruled. <laughs> said, okay. I was well, really proud. I was really proud of my like um, screen grabbing the Biden quote <laughs> and the and screen yeah. grabbing the Pooley quote and just yeah. comparing them. No, you, you, you put out some like you were the one who did the uh, like uh, so socialist hockey out. podcast. Yeah, yeah. 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 That, uh, was, that me. was after I spent like so much time on the account. Just just. J- just the stupidest post. One. <laughs> just the stupidest post for the last like, <laughs> like we never got to address the whole uh, me asking everybody how tall they are. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was really funny. Also, okay, this actually really uh, really bothered me because like I have routinely my entire life just said I'm five ten, which is mostly oh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. not me, like just me That's being just like you know. Well, like my dad, my I think he's a little bit shorter now because he's in his sixties and he's like you know he's getting older or whatever. But like my dad, through his entire life, was like I'm five ten, and I, when I was about like sixteen or seventeen, which is about the last time I checked, I was the same height as him. So I was like, okay, I'm five ten or whatever, right? And then you're talking, you were talking to Audrey, and Audrey was like, oh, I'm five nine, and you're a little bit taller than me, so you're five ten, but I'm taller than you. So am I taller than five ten? Have I been shortchanging myself my you, entire you life? You may have been. Yeah, you Fuck. may have been. That's brutal, man. And here <laughs> I am out here. Life would have been. Defending short kings when I could instead be like, huh, uh, fuck. If it turns out I'm six feet tall, which I absolutely am not. Oh my god! But could you imagine if I found oh. out I was six feet tall and I was that like shortchanging myself my entire life? Like I know, that's like, like I don't do. even think you get to defend short kings at five ten. Ah, I I do it because it's right, Elliot. That's the okay. thing. Well, I mean, I'm just saying for self centered reasons. <laughs> All right, folks, welcome to a very special movie episode of Roxy Fever. I'm your host, Jackson McDonald. With me, as always... <laughs> it's Viaster, man. And Elliot Hoyt. <laughs> and uh, we've got a guest in the house we- this week. It's Cody. Is it Sievertson or Severson? Oh, my God. You got it right the first I did. Time. So that's, it's that's like... incredible. It's like... Um, uh, it's like the... New Jersey Devils... Former New Jersey Devils defenseman. Or is he still in New Jersey? I can't remember. I think he's still there. Yeah, but except yeah. there's no oh, T. And I actually, Severson? yeah, that's yes. right. I actually asked you uh, what your Twitter handle was because I kept putting it in as Severson as opposed to Severson. Yeah. So, anyways, I'm glad I got it uh, right the first time because I definitely was not sure. But uh, how are you doing, my man? Dude, I'm doing good. Surviving a Corona pandemic, you know, living the dream. <laughs> <laughs> what are you What are you eating? Uh, you know, I just polished off my bag of croutons. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, don't don't joke about that. <laughs> don't 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 fuck with my culture, man. <laughs> um, I decided to be nice today, and I went the opposite. I went with wet um, instead of dry. So I got some Nongshim Nioguri, uh, <laughs> spicy seafood flavor. I, I made a nice trip to the uh, H Mart in Coquitlam the other day. Uh, nice Korean market, and got some rice cakes to put in there. I will say, uh, the Korean markets uh, right now, it's like completely different approach to like cleanliness like they're t- yeah. they scan my temperature walking in 
Oh wow! Really? That's yeah, yeah. That's cool. And, like, yeah, and I went to a Safeway in the same day, and it was just like, "Fuck, sure, come in if you want." Like, yeah, yeah. Um, apparently, uh, my my partner was just telling me that Save On Foods has Howdy. completely just uh, abandoned all their like social distancing rules and everything, and they just got rid of hazard pay for all their employees. So, mm-hmm. um. I usually put this at the end of the episode, but you can direct your hate mail to Jim Pattison. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, the assumption is you can do that for every episode. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. fair. Very yeah. fair. <laughs> he, but for context for the non-BC people, he's the richest man in BC. He's like, he's our Mr. Burns. He's as old as Mr. Burns. He looks like him, and he owns all the food in this province. And then, yeah. Also... Uh, former NDP premier Glenn Clark is like the neck is uh, the president of his company. Yeah, so, it's kind of God. fucked up. And oh yeah, Glenn Clark also uh, responsible for like destroying the BC NDP for a generation too. But anyways, yeah. before we get too far into that, <laughs> we have gathered here today to discuss the wonderful and insane 2016 documentary. Ice Guardians. Hillary. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Cody, we had you on specifically because, I mean, two reasons. One, uh, I've known you long enough now to know that you share our sense of humor. Um, and second of all, because you're an AHL guy. Obviously, you've covered the Comets for how long now? Uh, I think uh, two years now. Okay. Yeah. We decided to call you up finally. (laughs) (laughs) So I I thought that it was valuable to get somebody who is familiar with the AHL's um, outlook on this because most of the guys profiled in this movie were, I mean, some of them spent basically their entire careers in the AHL, but all of them certainly spent a big chunk of time in the AHL. So before I get into um, discussing the the sort of meat of the movie, I just wanted to ask you, like, A, what is your experience with, you know, watching enforcers in the AHL? And B, do you agree with uh, Scott Parker's assertion that it's a dirtier, nastier game down there? Oh, he, he is completely correct. It, it's actually kind of wild watching this documentary because, like, I, I was thinking back to it and... Throughout the season, I think the only instance of fighting this season was like like a joke between like Canucks fans, like the Adam Gaudet, like scrapping Connor Murphy or whoever it was, and like Jake Vertanen had a few fights, and like it's just thinking about it, like those were the fights from the season. Yeah, barely any at all. Yeah, you watch this documentary and you're like, oh right, this is what hockey used to be like not long ago. Where Absolutely, it was an absolute the absolute wild west where people were just going at each other as hard as they possibly could, and it, it's kind of fun because like in the AHL, it's still kind of like the wild west where guys are like fighting every single game because like that's their role. So it, it's kind of funny seeing how how quickly it was phased out of the NHL, and then compared to the AHL where they're still like this is this is still p- part of the game and there's no way they're going to get rid of it just because it's so ingrained in the culture of like fighting your way to the top, basically. Well, something else I wanted to ask too is like, do you think that part of the reason the AHL has so many enforcers is because like all those guys lost their roster spots a couple years ago? And so now there's like an influx of... You know, like, because cause the thing is, is that enforcers generally, like, most of the ones who make it to the NHL can play hockey. So when you send them down to the AHL, they have a, um, I guess, 
like a better handle on playing than some of than like an AHL enforcer. So you think that has anything to do with it? Like just the influx of enforcer talent into the lower leagues because it's being phased out in the NHL? I, I think that plays into it. I you actually don't see it as much in the Eastern Conference, like where Utica plays, because I think most of those guys, like those enforcers from the NHL that like obviously they, they have nowhere to go, they actually go to like the Western Conference because like it's just I guess a better place to play for the most part. And the guys that I've experienced in my uh and like in my watching, they're all like usual AHL veterans. They're like most of those guys from the NHL are kind of been phased out, and it's mostly like the ECHL call ups and stuff like that that are really kind of plaguing like the league, or at least this con- the conference that I watch. So, who are the enforcers on Utica right now? Uh, <laughs> the, oh. the, the one <laughs> enforcer. <laughs> I can't is, wait for uh, this. <laughs> I was I was going to ask you that too, so I'm so glad Vias asked. <laughs> I I. I think he would agree but vincent arsenal is the uh the enforcer for the unit comments and he started out in like the i don't know the chl from like years ago and like worked his way up to the echl and like he he's actually like an okay player at the hl level like he's got actually like a really good shot but like he, he's such a throwback and that he like plays like bufflin where he just throws his entire body at someone with like reckless abandon and oh, like yeah. I love watching him play. I think if anyone's ever read anything I've written about Comet's game recaps, it's always just like <laughs> like asterisk. I love this guy. <laughs> he, can, he can do no wrong. I, I want him to keep playing forever. But like, yeah, he he's the pure embodiment of an enforcer, and it's kind of funny because like he doesn't like speak English that well. Like he's from like the middle of nowhere of Quebec. Oh, sweet. Yeah. That's so great. like he barely speaks English. So like he doesn't follow like the stereotypical vibes of this documentary where they're all like 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 trying to pretend they're captains because they're the tough guy (laughs) yeah fair enough yeah but like yeah he's the he's the guy and i don't know i i am i allowed to swear on this podcast are you fucking kidding me of course you can swear okay okay yeah i fucking love him he's so fun to watch and it goes against like like because like i started working in stats into my like game recaps and like my year-end reviews to like not make it so like just like a guy from the internet talking shit about people <laughs> and, like, and like even though like his stats usually aren't like that great like it just it, it's completely counter for me to like <laughs> what he offers to the team <laughs> but I, I can't help but love him because he, he just plays like Bufflin and like I love Bufflin unabashedly yeah if Bufflin wasn't a Chicago player I would have loved him I, I would love him yeah, too yeah. like any player who throws ass in their hits uh, <laughs> uh, yeah the best the theme of sort of the disconnect between enjoying watching a player or enjoying a player as a personality and understanding their sort of role, like like basically understanding that their role is not good or that they are not a good player from a statistical standpoint, that's a frequent thing that comes up on the show. <laughs> um, so I guess the next sort of or the last thing I want to address before we get into the meat of the documentary is just everyone's general thoughts on fighting in hockey on the enforcer going into the documentary. And if anything about your opinion changed after watching the documentary, I mean, I'm someone who does like fighting in hockey. Like I'll admit it. This is probably a bit contrary to what some people would expect, but I do really like it where I get off the train is like knowing what we do know about 
what ho- what hockey fighting in hockey does to people long term, it's not worth it. Especially when you consider that the majority of fights in the NHL at least two years ago were stuff that I don't care about. Like I don't care about Prust fighting anyone, but mm. somebody like Bo Horvat fighting Charlie Coyle, like in that Bruins game, like that kind of thing is fun to watch. So it's like there's some of it that's good, but the human cost isn't worth it. And so I don't like it in the game. Fair enough. And did your opinion change? Did your opinion change at all? Watching the, watching the, no, not, not, not even one iota. (sighs) Not really. Fair enough. Yeah. For me, like I do, I do really like Elliot's answer because I get really bored when the, the enforcer fights, like even if they're on my team, I'm so bored by it. I'm not, I'm barely watching. Um, but if it has to do with a narrative thing, like if somebody got back at somebody else, I don't think that should happen. But when I'm invested in the game, I love it when it happens. Um, I will bang on the glass for sure. Uh, I <laughs> You're 100% into, I, a bang on the glass guy. <laughs> I would love to, uh, I, if I ever get the opportunity to, I, lo- I would love to bang on the glass. Um, but it, it's, it's uh, negotiating between the whole like, yeah, I like this now, but this should also be regulated out of a game. Uh, is always going to be my position. Like, it shouldn't happen. It should never come to this. But if it's going to come to it, uh, I would rather it not be staged. I would rather it matter. Or, like, like a... Look, I come I come to this as a bit of a joke sometimes, but, like, when Steve Moore uh, elbowed Marcus Naslin and effectively kind of ended his, like, offensive uh, skill, uh, like, Naslin was never the same after that hit, I was... I had red in my eyes. I really wanted something to happen to Steve Moore, like 100%. I, I'm not happy with what did happen, but I won't lie that that's how I felt when it happened. I mean, yeah. well, I was like uh, 10 years old. Yeah, I was 10 as well. It was a, it was certain, yeah. but it was certainly like a be careful what you wish for kind of situation. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so it's it's like, I, I don't know, I, I think in the movie Ides of March or something, George Clooney has this quote where he's talking about, this is the only way of, I, I could remember it, uh, or the only thing I could remember to help this point out, but yeah, if somebody like killed my wife or something, I would want to murder that person, but we have a social contract. Yeah, that doesn't mean you should be allowed to murder that person. <laughs> exactly. So like, you gotta, you gotta you just gotta temper that. Like, So I, I can see myself wanting to see the fighting, but I know that it's still wrong. But my mind was, I definitely walked in, like, we can expand on this later on in the episode, but I had a lot of assumptions about fighting and concussions and total 180. Yeah. Okay, cool. I can't wait to get get into that. that. Yeah, Yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait for that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, like, my, the only thing I came into with the documentary was the whole concussion thing. And then, like, yeah, I will get into later, but like, that was the only thing I really, like, had changed my opinion. I've always been, like, I've kind of agree with you guys like i i will definitely be a guy that bangs on the glass because like fighting does get you like hype like if adam godette wants to throw down if Patterson wants to throw down in the first play-in game like i am gonna i will say we build a statue right the fuck now that would yeah build him a statue for like the day he gets back to Vancouver. Honestly, that would be the coolest thing. It's so time. much better when good players fight just because yeah. it's yes. like you're invested in it, you know? Like, yeah. that's yeah. the, the, that's the key thing. thing. Yeah, the key thing with fighting is you have to be invested in who the guy is. And that's yeah. something that that's like definitely changed with the role of the enforcer kind of dying out. 
or becoming more like specialized is that a lot of the guys featured in this movie were like like people loved them you know and and this is something that um that really i don't want to spend too much time on it because we're going to get into the meat of the movie in a second but like some of the guys featured in this movie like uh clark gillies um being probably being the best example and they talk about bob probert a lot uh even like dave the hammer schultz like these guys could play hockey they had like prolific offensive seasons clark gillies in particular was like he he was routinely the fourth or fifth best player on a dynasty Islanders team. Like it was like, mm. you know, um, ah, fuck, like, uh, Mike Bossy, Dennis Potvin, whatever the fucking other guy's name what is, and Clark Gillies, like routinely top four scorers, you know, and like even Bob, po- uh, even Bob Probert, <laughs> <laughs> Bob Probert, um, Rob Bobert, <laughs> uh, even Bob Probert had like a 72 point season. And so like, I think that really helps when you see one of those guys score like a clutch goal or like make a good play, then when they get in a fight, you're, you're way more invested in it. But when it, when it has nothing to do with hockey, and, and this is, I think, a big reason why it's gone out of the game, it just, it's hard to care. And, oh. and they talk about in this movie, uh, on a couple of occasions, like how games used to take three and a half hours. I remember being a kid when games took three and a half hours, it sucked. Mm-hmm. It was really yeah, it was boring. Awful. Like it, 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 it took away from the flow of the game. So my opinion on fighting and hockey is kind of contradictory. I think that like as entertainment, I could really take it or leave it most of the time. But I think that a lot of the criticism that's levied at it is uh, kind of ignorant and misplaced. And I think that, Something that people underestimate is the extent to which fighting is an organic thing that happens when when a bunch of people are in a room together, um, hyper-competitively chasing after the same thing and banging up against each other. I think we talked about this a little bit in the when the Cassie and Kachuk thing happened, but like... I remember saying at the time, like, I'm not a violent guy, but if somebody did that to me, I would want to turn around and beat the shit out of them. Uh-huh. And I, th- I think that the thing about fighting is that until the league really figures out what it wants to do about player safety and about refereeing and regulating the game, I actually think that having that last ditch, I'm going to beat the shit out of you if you wrong me, um, you know, mentality is, it's not good, but it's it's at the very least like morally neutral in a league that doesn't really do a very good job of protecting players. Yeah, I think players right. are put in the position that they they pretty much have to do it. Uh, yeah, fighting has been like like some regulation of fighting has has happened, but it feels like at this point the league is just totally fine with it. They're not actually they're not trying to really remove fighting from the game, and I just think if you're a player, you're totally incentivized to do it. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. So just to get into the... I'm just going to run through like the first five minutes of the movie just to give everyone a sense. I, I, I want to say now, like if you're listening to this and you have Netflix, pause the show and watch the movie. It's worth watching. It's going to make our episode a lot better if you know what we're talking about. And like, despite the fact that I think 
uh, this movie is in service of a narrative that is a complete and utter travesty. It's actually a well-made <laughs> film with a lot of really good interviews in it. So it's it's worth watching if you're a hockey fan, and certainly if you're like interested in you know deepening your Roxy Fever mindset. <laughs> so the movie opens with sort of a uh, a shot of a snowy landscape and a bunch of different players talking about how they ended up as enforcers. And the routine theme that keeps coming back is that most of these guys did not intend to be fighters when they got into the league. It was something that eventually their skills could only take them so far. And so they wanted nothing more than to play in the NHL and they were willing to fight to do it. And so it kind of continues from there. We get a few different talking heads. They introduce some of the characters who we'll get into in a minute. And then hard cut to Brett Gallant training while the song Enforcer uh, by Monster you, Truck plays. You got to put, like, is there any way this can be in the episode? I think fair use <laughs> allows me 15 seconds of the song. Oh, it's so, it's so, so good. So good. <laughs> I could only describe this song as like maybe the best example of butt rock ever like put to recording. It's so funny. I I read an interview with these guys where uh, they were touring with, they were opening for Nickelback on a European tour. (laughs) And it was just like so funny to see who blurbed their album. It was all like, uh, like publications called like, rock news and like metal hammer and one one was just called big cheese that was one of the like that was like one of the papers that blurbed them and then um uh my my favorite thing was just like looking at the names of their albums and i couldn't remember them all but i know that their newest album is called uh true rockers <laughs> Oh, God. It's just like, it's so, it, it, it's like the perfect song for this movie because it's so embarrassing, but it's so pure of heart that it comes back around to being good. <laughs> <laughs> it really fits the, mu- the I, movie. I sure. mentioned this uh, to Elliot before we started recording, but I have watched this movie five times now, and it was really <laughs> funny to see how my attitude toward it changed each time but the thing that changed uh the most was that by the fifth time i watched it i was just (laughs) fucking like rocking out just like singing along singing the lyrics uh it rips um so then basically it gets into we get a shot of and i think this sets the stage for how the rest of the movie is going to go very well we get a couple of shots of local news reports being like fighters are they worse than child molesters? <laughs> um, I gotta say, there, there's some some of these like newscasters who are saying it. They look like robots. There's one woman who I'm like, this person doesn't look real. <laughs> Cody, she looks CGI. Yeah. I, I I messaged it to Jackson. <laughs> like maybe like the minute I finished watching it the second time, and I was like, like tell me, this woman's CGI, right? <laughs> she looks like a robot. The um the like. 
digitally imposed Leia at the end of Rogue One looks more like a real person <laughs> than this lady. <laughs> um, and and then we get we get sort of a a little talking head with a doctor who is depending on the situation kind of both a hero and a villain uh depending on what questions they're asking him but he sort of talks a little bit about how the role of the enforcer is a bunch of hooey and then we uh we get a nice sort of scrolling uh script a, a chiron if you will i guess that says why hockey and then this is more or less the structure of the movie they uh they get into a bunch of different sections and a bunch of different questions where they're essentially uh conversing with mostly former players but a few other interesting figures uh who we can talk about in a second about a number of questions pertaining to the role of the enforcer the history of the enforcer fight and like the role that fighting plays in the game so to open it up to you guys i think the the only place we can really start is to talk about the individual players and who our favorite guys were. So I think the problem with, you know, asking everyone individually who their favorite guy is, is that you get it. The last guy is going to be motivated to change his answer based on the first people who say something. So I was just thinking on three, we could all say who our favorite guy is. Does that sound good? Fair. That's okay. fair. Yep. One, two, three. Scott Parker. Scott Parker. Scott Parker. Scott Parker. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So the only was, answer. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> did we did we all say Scott Parker? Yes. <laughs> Were you gonna say Elliot? Oh, honorable mention to Gino. Oh, okay, yeah. Oh fuck yeah. Yeah, that's true. Like, his that. interviews are pretty nondescript but there's a clip of him fighting the entire st louis blues team and it's just like <laughs> well, oh man i also I think there's it. a difference between like who is your favorite person yes. in the movie and like who's your favorite interview from subject. the concept of who's your favorite person who is in this movie for their role in the documentary it's scott yeah. Parker. absolutely yeah, yeah. i mean yeah, yeah, obviously yeah. there are other guys that are in it that are great i really liked uh i found myself gravitating more and more towards dave schultz because he's just like a friendly grandpa you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I really yeah. like the part where they ask him, um, like, who's the best enforcer in the league or in history? Yeah. And he just kind of like <laughs> looks around and like sheepishly raises his hand. <laughs> yeah, that was good. That was cool. He seemed like a, a, a fun guy. Uh, Clark Gillies had a had like a benevolent Chad energy that I uh, appreciated. He also really <laughs> looked like uh, Henry Winkler, <laughs> the guy who plays the Fonz. <laughs> Um, he was the only guy who didn't look like complete shit in this movie. <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> what was I that? Kevin him, Westgarth was uh, actually Pardon, Elliot? Elliot, what? Oh, I thought Kevin Westgarth looked surprisingly good. Fair. Um, yeah, but 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 like all of these people look like uh, they've had trees fall on them, except him. I, I was going to say, actually, true. you're 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 um, really shortchanging Luke Gazdick, who. I yeah. was shocked to find out is insanely hot. 
I, I just like, like you're, you're shocked to find out he was an enforcer at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like uh, yeah. fair enough, but like I knew who that he was because he was like he played for the Oilers and shit, and I remembered him being a goon. And then they just like you know his name pops up under his photo, and I was like, I thought this was like a male model. Um, <laughs> but uh, and then there were I'm trying to think of who else. Like obviously, you know, there were a lot of more like established players that they interviewed. Jerome Ginla is in it, but only for a second. Yeah. But it's like one of the best quotes in the movie where he's just like, oh, I always wanted an enforcer on my team and, uh, you know, hopefully hopefully the toughest one. And then he just like smiles. Um, God, I love Jerome again. I forgot how much of a hockey accent he has. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He reminds me so much of my stepdad, man. Like that's my stepdad's mannerisms to a T. Are just like that sort of like smiley, like I'm such a friendly guy who will also fucking murder you. <laughs> like, yeah. I was curious why they brought like because they didn't bring in anybody else, as far as I know, who was like a star who was talking about them wanting an enforcer around, right? Like, he was the only Brett one, Brett Hall. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. and yeah. I mean, you could argue like Chris Chelios, but he was a mm. pretty goony player, even though he wasn't like a goon, so to speak. Yeah, like he was a tough enough guy that he wouldn't really care about <laughs> having an enforcer because he could do the role. They also talk to Bobby Hall, uh, <laughs> who who was not an enforcer, but certainly knows a thing or two about hitting people. So I guess I guess it's like relevant. But you look like the that elephant was weird. man in that. <laughs> <laughs> what is it with hulls and having like the skin texture of sandpaper? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the surprisingly like despite the fact that neither of those guys were enforcers, they looked like the shittiest <laughs> among basically anybody in this movie. Um, so that's, you know, that's a run through of, of some of the people that are featured in the movie. And I'm sure we'll get into other guys as we go along. But um, the other question would be, who's your least favorite guy? So do we want to do the same thing just on three? Yeah. Does that work? Okay. One, two, Three. Brian Steve Brian Redden. <laughs> <laughs> biggest, goon, biggest goon in the, the league's ever well, seen. I'm glad you brought up uh, Steve Moore, Vias, because we're actually going to talk about him later, but uh, I'll save that for the end. Um, what did you guys say? Brian McGrath. Well, <laughs> All three of us, yeah. yeah. Um, so what didn't you like about Brian McGratton? Because I have a feeling we're all going to have similar feelings, but I'd, I'd like to get your take. Yeah, so with Brian McGratton, I, I feel like it, it starts right from the beginning where his like opening quote is basically him summarizing why he loved to hurt people and like why it was great like that he could punch people, basically. And like he had no remorse for it. He also says that he liked to get hit. Yes, which is also just psychopathic behavior. Like, yeah, he um, said he would he would intentionally let guys hit him first, so he would like his eyes would go red, and he would like want to beat the shit out of them. Oh yeah, I, which yeah, is just like such a stupid mentality, and just knowing like like the history with like the Alberts hit and stuff like that, like just seeing him so like jovial about like his career as a person that hurts people, it just it just felt so wrong watching him do these interviews over and over again with this documentary crew. Yeah, it's yeah. like that Josh yeah. Oppenheimer documentary where he like goes and interviews all the people who committed genocide in Indonesia. Yes, but they don't exactly. Re- <laughs> but they don't realize that like the movie's like uh, against them. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> this is like the hockey version of the act of killing. <laughs> the act of enforcing. 
Um, yeah, <laughs> Sorry I, about that. I completely no. That's fair. That's that's totally fair. I completely agree with the um, uh, the Alberts thing because that's immediately the thing that I um, associate McGratton with is that and the um, the line brawl. The, yeah, the infamous yeah. line brawl, which they, there's actually a lot of Canucks clips in this. Uh, mm. Okay, in this but the line brawl is good. The line brawl was amazing, and we'll do a heritage moment on it oh, soon. God. There's yeah. so much to talk about with it. <laughs> yeah. I think Westgarth was on the. Um, yeah, I think so too. Was on the Flames when that happened too, but oh, um, the yeah the clips of the Canucks are all pretty funny because it's like it's it's either like a completely iconic moment or just like a, a what the fuck is this moment? Like <laughs> there's one shot of of Todd Fedoric. In a Canucks yeah. uniform, which I assume like he he's not like that's not listed on his hockey DB page, so I guess that must have been like a PTO. Um, but he's the I, one that uh, Kevin Bieksa punched out, right? Uh, no, that was Feder Federer. I know. No. Oh. I get it. I thought that would land better. Uh, <laughs> see, the problem with that is that that's like too <laughs> believable for you to think. <laughs> So Fuck I you. thought you were just being serious. But that the thing is, like, I know that kind of shit really well. Yeah, though. you do. It's yeah. true. It's true. I should have. I should have known better. Um, but yeah, they they also show the Brad Marchand punching Daniel Sedin, um, which well, is like, yeah. I don't like including that in a documentary about fighting because he has his glove on and it's not a fight. I mean, you could use. I seem to remember the context of that clip being like. Oh, those rascally country club 2011 Canucks, they needed an enforcer, which they yeah. also kind mm. of had. But mm. Yeah, that's kind that's of horseshit, because first of all, Rippon was on that team. Like, he didn't play very much because, you know, Elaine Vigneault naively was, you know, focused on icing a lineup that was good at hockey. But, um, <laughs> you know, like, the other thing that I thought was really funny was they show the Aaron Rome hit while talking about dirty plays. And I was like, ha yeah, that's a completely clean hit. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, like, just so much more clean than, like, uh, 90% of the shit that they show in this it, movie. It would have been but... useful to put that clip in during the, when they're talking about how just the pace of the game is probably causing concussions. Mm-hmm. Like, that would have been a way yeah. better place for it to go. Yeah, totally. That would have been perfect. But, um, you know, like, Col- Colin Campbell's uh, son played for that team, so you know. <laughs> they were shooting. You I, can't, keep I can't the, wait till uh, yeah. I can't wait till the Truman on episode about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so one one I think interesting avenue of discussion here would be there's a a recurring theme that comes up about how basically enforcers are sort of they they bring about a sort of vigilante justice in a game that can't be properly you know policed and uh and regulated so i guess my question to you guys would be like how do you rate the veracity of the the various sort of claims that this movie appears to be trying to make i don't buy it yeah (laughs) i mean you can't have that as your thesis in a movie where you interview brian mcgratton Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair mm-hmm. enough. Where he's your first subject, and the first thing he talks about is how much he enjoys hurting people. Like, yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's like counter to your thesis where you're trying to like legitimate these guys' role and like how they're like just good guys doing a job and like mm-hmm. they don't want to hurt people, but they have to because the role demands it. And then you have a guy who's like, no, 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 I, I'm out here to hurt people. 
And, and, yeah. Yeah, like, it's yeah. Just, it seems, seems wrong. And I, I almost think, like, the documentary, like, like the guys that, that made this got super excited with how much content they were getting from Brian McGrath and that they just kind of threw every quote they had, like, every pull quote they had into the documentary as best as they could. And that's why yeah. it kind of seems so disjointed at times is that the narrative that they were trying to get across isn't fulfilled by the quotes there. It's just like, it's mm-hmm. just there. Yeah. Um, I think that's, I think that's a really good point. Um, one thing that I picked up on immediately was the etiquette portion of the documentary where they go around and they talk to like basically all of the former players that are featured in the movie about the code. Right. And Todd Fedoric has a great line where he's like, yeah, everybody knows the code. Everybody knows what it is, but nobody knows what it is, yes. <laughs> which I thought was like surprisingly <laughs> observant from a guy who like does not come across as the most like intelligent dude in the world. Um, but one thing that I, I couldn't get my mind off of was like undeniably a lot of these guys did actually have like ethics and did come across as people who like didn't want to cause undue harm and certainly not to people who weren't willing participants. And they show like the, the wonderful clip of Georges Laroc telling the guy good luck before they fight. <laughs> and uh, Scott Parker, like he ha- had a great sort of anecdote where he was like, Oh, sometimes like guys get called up from the AHL and they'll be like, if I don't fight you tonight, I'm going to get sent back down. And so you fight them. Cause you know, it's like doing them a solid, but Scott Hartnell didn't ask those trees for consent before he fought them. Scott Hartnell? <laughs> Scott, Scott Hartnell? Hartnell. Uh, fuck. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> Cody, um, shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's uh, my Cody, first day. Cody is officially yeah, Cody, the... Cody had to fight me. <laughs> <laughs> Cody is officially the third Mike on the show now because he insulted Vias. Yeah. <laughs> I've Burning... heard my keep. <laughs> Yeah, burning yeah. Vias makes you uh, the unofficial um, third mic. Uh, you have have taken the mantle now, uh, formerly held by J.D. Burke and Romina Schla, <laughs> people who've burned Vias on the show. Yeah, if, but, you can, if you can burn me with like while actually getting me mad. <laughs> yeah. Um, the thing yeah. that I couldn't uh, stop thinking about though was how like so many guys who are known as enforcers were involved in, like, the most brutal acts of non-fighting violence, like stick infractions and and dirty hits. Like, when you think of players who did horrendous shit on the ice with, like, their sticks or, um, you know, just hitting a guy in the head or whatever, like, the first thing that comes to my mind is Marty McSorley on Donald Brashear with mm-hmm, the stick. Mm-hmm. Um, Brandon Prust and Milan Lucic spent like two years just spearing everybody in the balls like like <laughs> yeah. the idea that that the that like it was in etiquette, the CBA. yeah <laughs> the, the idea that etiquette and you know manners and like a code is present like I, and this is something i think a thread that i'm gonna draw out for the rest of our discussion here is that like I don't think that fighting is uniquely bad. I just think all the things that are good and bad about it are the same things that are good and bad about hockey and about the NHL. And um, chief among that, like the best example of that would be just that like, yeah, I mean, some guys like Rafi Torres is a notorious dirty player who didn't fight that much. 
But, you know, Marty McSorley, one of these guys that they talk so reverently about as being a great enforcer, what's he best known for? Literally, like, (laughs) chopping a guy in the face. Yeah. Trying to decapitate Donald Brashear. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a very strange, like, um, it's a very strange point that they're trying to make that contradicts itself multiple times. And it's not the only one that does that. But I, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was a very strange assertion, to say the least. Yeah, they're, they're, even some of the clips that they use throughout the movie, like the, the documentary too, where they're trying to reinforce like that there there is a like that these guys aren't like like goons in like a certain way, but then they'll show a clip of them like like cross check like they'll show Todd or Colt Dora cross checking Ovechkin in the face, yeah, or, or <laughs> Ovechkin getting like run knee on knee or whatever at the same time as like a a voiceover is trying to be like you know there's a code and you know we're trying to. <laughs> trying to you know just keep things uh fair make sure the refs call the right calls but sometimes you know you gotta fight a guy and it's like like but then why use this clip where the guy you're interviewing is like trying to hurt a star player like the yeah. context is like mm-hmm. lost mm-hmm. in the clip like something might have happened earlier in the game but like you as a documentary watcher are like wait this guy i'm watching in his like unbuttoned white <laughs> shirt is uh like trying to kill a guy on the ice <laughs> Doesn't make sense. One that opens up uh, like another, I guess, assertion that the filmmakers are trying to make here, which is that basically enforcers make the game safer, and the fa- and like now that enforcers are slowly being whittled away and are gone from the game, that the game is actually more dangerous. What do you guys think about that? <laughs> this is like a March of the Penguins documentary or some shit. <laughs> the way they talk about them <laughs> sorry I, I know nothing beyond that but uh, just for the just for the code thing the last thing like any of these guys when given the opportunity uh especially in a playoff game like they they all uh, they all go over the line like there 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 really is no line it's just it doesn't look good for them to um like really beat on some guy when their head is down yeah the nhl code is basically the same as the mafia code it's like it's something we like to talk about a lot but it doesn't actually exist yeah when push comes yeah. to shove right yeah you just you just uh cuck out at the last minute when it when it affects you um but yeah i, I on the on the subject of like because i i know they talk to kelly chase is one of the guys who um makes this point i think on multiple occasions like and Brian McGratton mentions it too. They're like, well, Sidney Crosby's been injured a, a dozen times. And like, I never got injured. And like, I, you know, I, I, the game's way more dangerous now than it was when every team had three enforcers on it or whatever. Like, what do you guys think about that? Well, they explicitly also compared Crosby to Gretzky and how Gretzky hadn't had three concussions and people questioning if he'd ever show up back in the league after five years or whatever it was. But it's really funny because this movie was filmed in 2016. And then the next two cups go to the penguins. <laughs> it was great timing. Yeah, great point. <laughs> great timing. So, oh, this movie is instantly dated. Just just to yes. throw that out there. Like yeah. this was a movie that was like it's amazing how quickly it it became dated because it's only 4 years old and it feels like it's ancient for how like how much a lot of the things that they talk about seem to have been completely debunked. Yeah. I mean, Dave, Dave Semenko's dead. 
I didn't even realize that. <laughs> yeah, a couple of the guys that they feature in this movie are dead now. Like, yeah, they, there's a like a five second interview with with Derek Bugard too. Yeah. And I know yeah. there's other oh. people in the movie that are that aren't that are dead now too. I, I can't remember. I, I might uh, be getting them mixed uh, up, and it might have just been Semenko, but I feel like there's another person too, uh, yeah. possibly. Yeah, they talk. No, yeah. Bugard died before this movie because he was mentioned in the. But I feel like he's like he is mentioned in it, but I feel like he has a brief talking head. Too. Oh, okay, he, he does have a talking head, but I think it's from like a pre-existing interview. I'm pretty oh, that's sure. that's it, like, totally the, possible. The yeah. lighting is totally yeah. different; like it has to be from something else. Okay, yeah. There, there's something like uh, they would show Bugard enough times in this movie that because I, I didn't know what the the point of the movie was going to be. I didn't know it was all like a like a climate change document or endangered species <laughs> documentary about the enforcers, but. Uh, I thought there was going to be some, like, Bugard's shadow was kind of, like, hanging over this movie, in my eyes, whenever they'd show that. Like, I yeah. thought there was going to be some larger point, and, or at least some acknowledgement of what happened there. Um, yeah, well, they do address but, it briefly. About but as brief as they could possibly could. Yeah, they really, yeah. and they, they really hand wave it away. Um, I know Westgarth um, is like he kind of has the long he gets the most time to speak on it where he's just kind of like, well, yeah, like enforcers uh, have mental health problems. But, you know, it's a, a small chunk of enforcers and a small chunk of uh, people everywhere else have uh, mental health problems. Issue. So it has nothing to do with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like I, I'm always sympathetic to to this to a degree because it's like if you want to say that this isn't an enforcer issue or it isn't a fighting issue, I, I can see your point, um, especially as it pertains to concussions, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, but, like, it is a hockey problem. Like, obviously hockey has a problem with mental health. Obviously it has a problem with violence. It has a problem with brain injuries. Like, And I just, I hate this hand-waving away of, like, and we talked about this on the last episode, where you're just like, well, you know, society also has this problem, so why is it my responsibility to think about it or engage with it at all when it's like... We live in a society. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, and more importantly, like, you, if you have um, influence within your community, it you should use that influence to affect positive change in your community. It's not on, uh, you know, you can't just go like, well, this problem's bigger than me, so I'm not going to do anything about it. I think that's just a total cop out. Yeah. And and also like this is a league that ha that like it's a, it's a small amount of people. It's not a whole country that you're trying to regulate. Like yeah, they yeah. they yeah. could literally just uh, like make it illegal. Uh <laughs> it's it's, it's 700 it's, players. You can yeah. do this. Yeah, exactly. Like, they totally can, um, but they're just trying to do the cop-out. Yeah, like, the if the thing. NHL was a city in Ontario, it would be so small that even Don Cherry wouldn't have heard of it. Like, <laughs> it's not a large amount of people that you're dealing with. Oh, I I, I was trying to come... <laughs> My brain went to... <laughs> okay, this is not going to the episode. But, like... <laughs> no promises. <laughs> Don Cherry wouldn't even hear about that town if a soldier from that town died in an IED explosion. <laughs> no, that's good. I'm that's, good. that's staying in. Um, I, well, it's. I, I mean, it does kind of feel weird that Don Cherry isn't like mentioned in this at all and isn't featured in it. Like, because that is very strange. Yes, he's those sort DVDs of like, have ruined generations, man. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it's certainly espousing a it's it's espousing, I guess, a more sort of politically correct outlook on old time hockey. It's very sort of concern trolling almost in its uh, in its approach. Like it doesn't really engage with any of the central questions that people have about like wow like should we have fighting or like i don't know if i like fighting it's just kind of like oh well what about this you know and then it just leaves that question out there it doesn't really have a response to it one smaller argument that they make that the enforcers give players more space which i don't think has been true since the 80s yeah yeah Hmm. that's certainly true oh and on the subject of just to circle back to the gretzky thing too like one thing that is never present in any of this is that, like, to to sort of, like, injure a guy, you have to be fast enough to catch him. And Gretzky was one of, like, five players in the 80s who knew how to skate. Yeah. So, like, I feel like that <laughs> element of it is completely, you know, lost on... Uh, yeah, like, the Crosby-Gretzky comparison that I got off track into the Stanley Cups thing is that if Crosby was playing in the 80s, he wouldn't just have not got a concussion. He would probably not receive one hit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, like, and, and not to mention, too, that like even if he did get a concussion, no one would know, and no yeah, one would care. That. So, yeah. like, because that's, that's... Yeah. No, Sorry, no, please, Crosby's a gr- Crosby's a grinder, too. Absolutely, yeah. That's very true. Like, he... Some of these... Uh, and th- and that's a that's, like, another element of this that that people don't talk about very much is like they mention in the movie that and i think this is actually a very good and interesting observation how when expansion happened it was this rapid influx of you know all of a sudden there's a huge demand for hockey players that didn't exist before and the sort of talent pool was not able to like they weren't able to expand to 12 teams and still have the same level of talent. So it resulted in players becoming more specialized. And I think that's very true. And yeah. it's um it's a, it's a smart observation, but what is missing from that is that that specialization has contracted over time and become less and less relevant. Like if you by and large if you look at NHL players now, they're just better at everything than yeah. guys were in the 80s. Like, they're tougher, they're faster, they're better at penalty killing, they're better offensively. Like, somebody like, um, fuck, I don't know, um, like, just any old, like, fourth-line grinder you can think of in the NHL, like Tyler Mott. Tyler Mott would fucking destroy your beer league in a second. Yeah. This is a guy yeah. who, at the NHL level, has basically no offensive instincts, but but, like... At the AHL level or in like, yeah, just like you're playing shinny in your backyard, like he'll fucking murder you because all of these guys have just like they're trained from birth to be hockey players pretty much. So like part of the reason and I'm in favor of this, but like part of the reason that there's less fighting is because like everyone is tough. And so like there there are no like soft uh wimpy offensive players and big tough physical players anymore it's all just kind of like become homogenized you know no yeah that's that's almost like what the documentary almost like fails like some of these guys that like they don't really realize is that the league like improved so rapidly like through the through the 90s and like 2000s whatever that their almost perspective of the league is that 
like almost as like they forgot the league got so much faster and better because they're still applying their logic of you need us in today's league because guys get hurt when it's like no no everyone like if you went into the league right now you would be able to keep up with like the fourth liners you'd have no chance the game just got way faster but it's like these guys didn't like there was no there's nothing in the documentary that acknowledged like that their version of the enforcer couldn't keep up with today's modern game and that's that's another contradiction that among among dozens in the movie yeah is that like uh they talk about how well you know all these enforcers like they had to be able to play hockey they had to be good hockey players yeah and then like a, a few minutes later some guy will say like well you know in the 80s and 90s uh, as hockey players got more and more specialized you had guys whose only job was to fight <laughs> and yeah. you'd be like and you're like what are which of these things am I supposed yeah. to believe? Like pick a stance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um the the one last kind of um I guess you know if we're continuing on our like nerdy sort of uh, uh actually myth-busting <laughs> thing um is the intimidation factor. And uh. and this one is is interesting to me because it's certainly, you know, you can't discount the fact that like NHL players, by and large, believe that intimidation, momentum, and protection are legitimate elements of the game that are important. And um, something that they talk about a lot is both the support that fighting has among players in the league and the ability that fights have to um, to turn the tide. And Jeff Merrick is is kind of one of the only media people they talk about a lot, and, uh, or they talk to a lot rather. And he's he's a very interesting guy. I, I, I kind of meet him right outside of a gym in this in this movie. By the way, <laughs> but, <laughs> you want to talk about people who uh, don't look so hot, man? <laughs> like, um, I I think um, somebody pointed out to me recently that like Jeff Merrick kind of looks like he's had some work done. And uh, boy, if you compare how he looks now to how he looks in this movie, like I think there I might was be. Say it. He's like he's like fifty or forty six at the time of this movie, and I was like, oh, that's all right. Yeah, but yeah, but now, but now, uh, like he looks b- way better, but also yeah, way yeah. more uncanny. Yeah. Um. But one thing Jeff Merrick says that I actually think is like, I don't know if I believe it, but it's a good argument. Is he he's like, uh, well, you know, a lot of the time a fight happens and it doesn't do anything, and there's no real change in the game in momentum or anything. Uh, but a lot of the time power plays happen and they're kind of boring and nothing happens and it doesn't change the flow of the game either. Does that mean that power plays are useless? And, you know, I think that's kind of like a sort of false equivalency thing, but I'd be curious to hear what you guys think about the idea that like fighting has some sort of, you know, psychological effect on the game and on players. What, What do you guys think about that? I mean, I think it does have like a psychological impact. Like I said earlier, I was joking, but you, you can't tell me that if if PD like went out there and got in a fight in the first game back in play-ins, that the team isn't gonna do their heart, like try their hardest to win the, the game like as best as they can. Like mm-hmm. it would it would like hype everyone up. Like, and I think that's what a lot of these guys like go off of is like mo- like motivation. Like, look at the Last Dance documentary. It's all about. You know what is yeah. motivating me for my next pursuit, right? Like right here, right now, for this title. So I understand, like how, like in like a microcosm of a game, like a fight is what maybe a lot of these guys will use. Like, oh, I'm gonna use this to, 
push me to score my next goal and try and push us over the edge, like that kind of logic. So like I I, I agree with him, but at the same time, like yeah, it, it's it's iffy. My horrible nerd side is always questioning why you think one team is going to get the momentum and not the other team because both teams mm. are fighting. Yeah, that's always where it kind of like like I do believe that it has the that it has an effect, but the problem is always like how do you account for who is going to reap the benefit of that effect, you know? Yeah, you can always write yourself storylines about like when you think a fight would change the momentum more for one team than the other, like if your team was getting pushed around and then someone fought and then but it's like yeah, but that doesn't happen. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I I completely um I completely understand where you're coming from there. Another thing that they get into a little bit, I know Kelly Chase mentions this, and I think uh, Parker gets into it a little bit too. Is they talk about the like the whole like well, you know, I wouldn't let guys take li- I, I I wouldn't let guys take liberties with the star players on other teams because I didn't want to fight that guy. You know, yeah. and this gets into two issues that uh, are both equally interesting to me. The first is like, well, hold on. So if you're on a team and you're an enforcer and you're like, I'm not letting anybody take a run at the star players because I don't want to fight that guy. Doesn't that mean you're a shitty enforcer? <laughs> like, isn't the whole point of being an enforcer that like you're the big, tough, scary guy, and so our team can take liberties with your team, but not vice versa? Yeah, exactly. What I was gonna say was, you would think that it means that if your star player gets run, that you would not be able to win the enforcing fight, which obviously means that they have free reign to take liberties, and that's one of the things that I really searched for this article about Sean Thornton retiring, but a bunch of his teammates basically all said. You know, him being out there, we weren't afraid of the other team and we could do whatever we wanted. And just admitting to taking liberties because they have an enforcer. Yeah. The complete opposite of the thesis. Um, I was, I was going to say, there, there's, a, there's a deleted scene, or an extras, I should say, on YouTube that's like the Ice Guardians guys put out. And there's like a great quote where they kind of address this where the, I think it was uh, Dave Semenko or someone, was, I think it was his bit where he said, there were days where you would you would go without a fight and you would tell the guys like you know we're not going to take runs at people and then at a certain point you would have to remind I'm using air quotes here you would have to remind the league that you were still the toughest enforcers and you would just fight arbitrarily that game so it was all like a it's like mind games almost like yeah. they, would, they would willingly stop fighting for a while to give themselves a break or whatever and then they would get back to it to remind people how tough they were yeah, it's it's it all just kind of like it becomes like a snake eating itself. It's mm-hmm, just like you mm-hmm. can't yes. really see where like where it begins and ends. It's it's just sort of like it's a chicken and egg thing. Like you you can't like where does intimidation begin and retaliation end? Like it's just you can't separate the two. And the other thing that I um that I kept thinking while I was watching this too is like if like Okay, let's say that um, Elliot and I are the star players on each team, and Cody and Vias are the enforcers, and I take a shot at Elliot, and then Cody and Vias fight. What the fuck does that have to do with anything? <laughs> like, that's just, it, it's like... It, it, it's a proxy war. It's complete, yeah. yeah, it's a proxy war, exactly. <laughs> it's the NHL version of a proxy war. So, like, I, 
I completely. Uh, we've we've gone in on all the stupid Welcome things. To, of, uh, proxy fever. <laughs> nice. Oh, that's so good. Um, the uh, possible episode title. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's good. Um, wait, but, wait, no, I have a contender. I have a contender for that. What? I got another one. Uh, I mean, you guys already know it. Kevin Westgarth is a gargoyle's ass name. <laughs> that is true, and he lo- and he looks he really like does. the main guy in Gargoyles. Too. That fucks me up. <laughs> that really um, fucked me up when he sent me that photo. Oh man. I, I, yeah. Okay, I did. I did have a, like another comment uh, on on this actual like the logic of. Fighting. Okay. Yeah. 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 Sure. Is that um I how would I explain this to somebody in rational terms? <laughs> you wouldn't. <laughs> you like like without just saying. Yeah, this is just the sport where the guys just fight each other. Like there, there is no logic, and like that just explains it a lot better. Yeah, absolutely. And and we're we've gone in on like all the things that are really stupid about this movie, and I and there are like myriad uh, reasons why it's very silly. And uh, like not the least among them too is the the all the interviews with like the criminology lady who just like <laughs> no, every single thing she says is just like is just like citation needed. Like what are you talking? What one of my favorite things that she says? Also, why was Jay Burchell in this? <laughs> so, yeah. Because because he wrote and directed goon well yeah which is actually a very which is good movie. A, a very funny movie. very a way better movie um at it's explaining... a way better exploration of these exactly ideas. Yeah, yeah way way more interesting and um an accurate like portrayal of what it means to be an enforcer that i think they are able to touch on in this movie mm-hmm. um so i don't no pro- glorify it as much as this movie no is. not at all yes. i honestly think that's and my favorite part about i kind of think like jay baruchel honestly has like some of the better observations in this movie where um he kind of talks about how so much of this is just so much of the opposition is about sensibility and um and i'll get to that in a minute but i just wanted to get in one last point about this uh criminology lady that bugged the shit out of me especially as i watched it more and more there's this one part where she says like well there's no statistics so we can't verify this but anecdotally um players who who you know play in leagues with fighting um always say that it's dirtier in europe and i'm like what are you talking about you can't verify that like literally just look at stick infractions and injuries in Europe per game versus in the AHL or NHL. Like you could 100% do that if you wanted to. So like, you're just saying this thing can't be verified, but like it can, there's literal um, statistics you can look Mm -hmm. at if you bothered to do the work, like, and and we'll get into that when we, when we talk about um, concussions and stuff, but like that bugged the shit out of me. I was just like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm not going to say that the experts in there were, like, quacks or something, but they they weren't helping themselves. No. Like, they definitely came across no. as, like, uh, like the doctor came across as, like, Dr. Nick or, like, the, <laughs> or, or like the, Don, the Donald Trump doctor or he was He was, like, the mo- of the quote-unquote experts they talked to, um, he was the most legit because he kind of, like... Did he, he? One thing he said that I thought was like a very good point was he was like, "Do we know that enforcers are uniquely susceptible to concussions? No, but we do know that they're susceptible, and like that's a very good point in favor of getting rid of fighting if you were so inclined." And he also like he's kind of good for for some of the concussion stuff, um, but like the other two experts they talked to, I'm trying to remember. I think the guy's name is Howard Bloom. You know, yeah, the like uh, curb your enthusiasm character <laughs> looking guy um, who like 
I can't remember. I think they 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 called him a mass behavior expert, which was just like he, <laughs> that's, that's so literally sad. like a couple of cents removed from what Mike Cernovich calls himself. <laughs> like that's a guy with a YouTube channel. <laughs> like, that's not like a, he. It, there's no way he's like like. If he's a sociologist or whatever, like just put that. Don't put yeah. mass behavior. <laughs> no, uh, on the other side, do you think the target audience for this documentary knows that? <laughs> no, <laughs> but but I mean, do you think they know what a criminologist is? <laughs> like, I don't Five see dollar the, word. I don't see what the big difference is. But uh, okay, I, I, I got okay. I got a question now that you brought up Jay okay. Rochelle. Yeah. All right. Okay. Between the two, who do you think? has had a greater influence on the National Hockey League or hockey in general. Jay Baruchel or Alicia Cuthbert, both oh. of whom were the hosts on Popular Mechanics for Kids. Wow. Like the early that's 2000s. such a good question. Oh, that's a really good question. Yeah, because, because Alicia Cuthbert has, has dated and married NHL players. Yeah. And she's in Goon 2. Really? Um, really? Yeah, she plays... <laughs> oh, that's um, cool. So, so, you know, in... At, Goon is such a good movie. I, I, I'm debating I whether... I really want to do it for the show. I, I See, I've debated doing it for the show, but the problem is that it's too good. You know, yeah. so it's like hard to do an episode on it, but maybe for the Patreon or something. Yeah, it would need to be Patreon because it would just be like, this movie's so good. Yeah, yeah totally. But um, if you remember like in Goon, um, uh, Sean William Scott's character, uh, Doug Glatt, his girlfriend... Who's played by Allison Pill, right? And oh, yeah, they like yeah, yeah. get together, and that's that's like what most that's what like the off ice stuff is it mostly focused on. So in the sequel, um, her sister enters into the picture, and her sister's like a total puck bunny, um, and she's played by Alicia Cuthbert, nice. and it's like an excellent casting choice. Um, Goon Two is like it's totally uh, unnecessary, but it's still fun. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I think I don't know. I think. Honestly, Jay Baruchel has probably had more of an effect on like hockey culture, but I think um, Alicia Cuthbert has had more of an effect on the ground on things happening in hockey, <laughs> like uh, be- because she literally like dated and married some of these, and well, dated some of them and married one guy, right? Yeah, yeah, and has yeah. been like the subject of feuds or whatever. Or like yeah. I just remember Sean Avery like well said oh infamously that sh- shitty thing about her yeah, yeah like she's the subject of like a suspension hearing like <laughs> <laughs> yeah what? like that well like his whole yeah. like sloppy seconds comment is basically like him referring to her right so yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah. oh I yeah. didn't know a suspension was involved yeah oh. I'm pretty, oh, yeah he I'm was pretty, suspended he was for that suspended for like a couple of games yeah oh good oh yeah fine yeah. Oh yeah, that... yeah. That's the other lesser-known Avery rule. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So what I've been trying to get get at here is we've like gone in on this movie quite a bit, but there are good things about it as well. Um. Not the least of which is getting to know these guys, and undeniably, I think the as we alluded to at the beginning of the show, the the guy who steals the show is Scott Parker. Yeah. Yeah, like every time he is on the screen, he just he it's just like brimming with uh, charisma and emotion, you know. And um, he's he's a guy like I looked into him uh, off the ice. He seems hilarious. Uh, he's a huge redneck, uh, allegedly, and he um, he like 
formed he's done a lot of charity work now that he's not in the nhl anymore and from what i can tell it was a little like hazy but he did like he formed the most like redneck hockey player charity ever it's like a barber shop specifically for veterans hell yeah (laughs) (laughs) and like he's all focused on like basically getting veterans and like former hockey players to like he's trying to like transition them into regular society which i actually think is like not a it's a benevolent thing to do but it's just very funny and so like hockey (laughs) um to be interested but i know you cody there was one section of this that you like were really excited to talk about which is the part where he talks about his training regimen it it is the it is the it's so you're gonna watch this documentary folks just just fast forward to this scene because it (laughs) it is the best thing about ice guardians it is them taught like all the enforcers talking about their their off-season training and how it's gotten crazier like every year and so scott armstrong sitting in his like garage his dimly lit garage and he's talking about how his knuckles weren't tough enough so he would grab industrial chains wrap them around his knuckles and then go outside and punch trees (laughs) to build up a callus so that he could fight and he's so sincere and proud of the chains he would wrap around his hands and he's sitting there with his oversized shirt and his duck dynasty beard and bull chop and it is just the funniest image i've seen in a documentary in so long and i he looks like redneck uh Ilya yes it, it yeah. is it is just, wonderful. Just sorry were you trying to say Ilya brzgalov <laughs> Weirdly yeah. enough, I knew exactly what you were talking about. You were saying about. Sergei Bobrovsky or Ilya Brzgalov? Uh, Sergei. Wait, what? Sorry. Okay. Wait, wait, no, Ilya Brzgalov. Okay, yeah, the, the why you have to be mad guy. Yeah. Okay, yes. yeah. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, fair. Yeah, Scott Scott Parker just like has so much personality, and he he just comes across as like like he is the most Doug Glatt of anyone in this movie. Yes. Yes. Um. Yeah. And, like, Quickly to just jump in. Yeah, here. no. My favorite moment of his was all the players were talking about their pre-fight, like the lead up to a fight. What you're about to do, like, oh, you gotta like get psyched up. <laughs> and then he was just saying, "Yeah, one time I took off my glove and threw it at George Paris because he wasn't expecting it." That was my favorite part too. But the best part is that he says, "Yeah," and then Paris was all like, "Oh, what, what the fuck?" And then, uh, and then, so he threw his glove back at me, and so I caught it and threw it into the stands. <laughs> that that was so, so cool. And then, he, and then he's just like, so and you could just see him go like, oh, "Really, Parker?" And really? then, and then they cut to George Paris, and he gives like a gym, or he gives a gym look from the office. Yeah, where he looks like at the camera, just like, gym, whomp, yeah. whomp. it's so good. <laughs> Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's wonderful. You're right. Um, and there's and so like all of these guys that are that are featured in this movie, like they really do give them a chance to shine as people. And I I genuinely felt like a lot of these guys, I would have gone into it being like, ugh, you know, like Kevin Westgarth is a good example of somebody who like, you know, going into the movie, I was like, I would have thought like, oh, Kevin Westgarth, yeah, some fucking goon or whatever, and. You know, I could give a shit that he went to Princeton. That's not that, like, surprising to me, really. Um, and also, like, it's like, whatever, yeah, you went to Princeton on, like, a hockey scholarship. Like, <laughs> that's not, that does not mean you're smart. George W. Bush went to Harvard. <laughs> Peter Sorelli went to Harvard. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, um, but 
uh, he like he comes across as like a, a, a complex guy, and I I did some research on him, and he um he's actually kind of cool. Like he was really really active in the NHLPA when the lockout happened, trying to negotiate the return to play, and uh, in uh, 2013. And something I read this interview with him in the New York Times where he talked about like you know, how he it was really sticking his neck out for him because he was such a lower-paid player in comparison to everybody else, but he just really wanted to negotiate the best deal for for the PA and for the players. And um, and he, he actually kind of, like, went in on the league um, for basically, like, blackballing certain guys who were involved in the union. Like, he, he mentions um, they get into Chris Campoli a little bit, and he's like, oh, Campoli, like, 100% never played in the NHL again because of how active he was with, uh, with the PA, which I thought was really interesting. And so, like, there's certain guys that are featured in the movie who, like, I would say pretty much everyone other than... Brian McGratton, who I already completely hated, and like guys I didn't have any opinion of and still kind of don't have an opinion of, like I did sort of leave the movie liking them more because yeah. they, they come mm-hmm. across as real characters, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of uh, going back to like the beating up trees thing <laughs> where like <clears throat> uh, Lawrence Gilman, when, uh, when like uh, Benning shows up, he's like, He's trying to convince them, like, okay, let's use the hyperbaric chambers. Let's use, like, the sleeping technology. And then Benning is like, how about we just put some uh, chains around <laughs> their knuckles? Sorry, I, I, can't, I can't do the uh, Scott, have you, <laughs> there you go. have you thought about punching trees? <laughs> we got um, some industrial chains in the back. <laughs> <laughs> They're showing Nikita Triamkin videos of people punching trees. <laughs> Hey, Nikita, you want to take those industrial chains from the back and stuff and maybe wrap your fists and then, I don't know, you can come in and punch a couple trees and stuff. <laughs> Patreon Patreon idea, Cody, uh, uh, myself, and JD do the E1 episode where it's all Bidens, but it's just all bettings. <laughs> um, the, um... Oh, fuck. Yeah, um... The other thing that I think the the movie actually does a really good job of, and it actually does such a good job of that it's it's almost like frustrating that they didn't just fully go in this direction with it because it's so like it's brilliantly done the way they talk about it is all the concussion stuff because I actually did a paper for my one year of college <laughs> that I did. Um, I feel like everybody's going to know about this paper. <laughs> um, on uh, on concussions in hockey. And the thing yeah. that routinely came up over and over and over again that this movie really harps on is that like fighting accounts for basically no concussions in hockey. Yeah. And I, I think, Vias, you mentioned you were really surprised by that. I think I like... I, I know that, uh, like, I'm definitely aware that it's a speed of hockey. Uh, a lot of, like, the small hits, uh, the big hits. Um, but, but, like, even in women's hockey, like, concussions are a huge problem. So I knew that fighting wasn't the only thing. I did not realize that it formed such a small part of it. Right. And so sort of building off or angling off of that, I really don't find this as a very convincing argument about the safety of fighting because fighting yeah. accounts for such a small amount of the game 
it's obviously going to account for a tiny amount of the concussions because it is such a small part of the game. So that's a good point. And another good point that uh, I think friend of the show, J.D. Burke, has mentioned is that just because it's it accounts for a relatively small amount of concussions um, doesn't mean that it's good um, because, I mean, most importantly, like, if a concussion happens during a fight, it is a concussion that happened during something that has absolutely nothing to do with the flow of the game. Right. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. this is a good point. Um, these are all good points, but I think that it is sort of like... The best way to put it would be to say that fighting has kind of created a really nice and useful out for the league um, and for NHL fans to kind of focus all their anxiety about concussions and brain damage and mental health onto fighting and to be able to say, well, fighting's gone out of the game. So this isn't, you know, we don't have to worry about this anymore. And I think that, you know, it all just comes back to my general observation that like really all the stuff that you worry about with enforcers is it's just a microcosm of the things you would worry about with the NHL at large. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, Jay Baruchel puts it pretty well when he says that, you know, like when it comes down to it, this is mostly an argument about sensibilities and some people find it distasteful. Other people don't. And fighting just kind of provides a useful thing that people who don't like fighting can point to to say that they have like a moral reason to to not like it. And when I mm-hmm. see things like 98% of the players want to keep it in, um, I sort of have a hard time saying, like, there should be a blanket ban. Because I just yeah. don't think it would really... I don't think it would have much of an effect beyond just pissing the players off. Yeah. And yeah, making certain guys lose jobs. Which, like, I think <sighs> is a consideration that people don't think about a lot. And something that I... I, I do, but... If you're going to say that these guys are going to lose their jobs, the reality is that they're currently taking a job that a potentially more skilled player could in the AHL could have. Yep. And that's, and that's not wrong. And, and I think that one sort of, there's an interesting like class analysis to be had here in the sense that like, I think, right. How much of my preference for the more skilled guy in the A is due to sort of class thing. Well, partly that. And then also like, I mean, something that they get into a little bit in the movie is that like these guys are like, they worked so hard to get where they are. They're willing to do anything to be where they are and they're will. And they often have to go from, you know, making 500 to 500 grand to maybe a million dollars. If they're lucky in the NHL to suddenly, you know, being in the AHL and doing the same job for like, a school teacher's salary or worse, you know, Zenon Kanopka talks about like, he was like, when I did this in the ECHL, I was making $360 a week. Star Trek ass name. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. General. Yeah. But like, I, I honestly, <laughs> I understand on a, like on an emotional level, why somebody who was willing to take punches to the face for $360 a week in the ECHL for a shot at the, for a shot to play, in the best league in the world would be frustrated by people just kind of being like, Oh, well you don't know what you're doing. And like, 
you shouldn't be in the game and you can't make your own decisions. Like it's, it's not, I'm not saying I agree with them. I'm just saying I understand them and I sympathize with them. And I, I definitely get why they would be frustrated by people who don't have any connection, like material connection to the game saying like, we know what's better for you than you do. Right. So I'm definitely ready to move on to the final portion of the episode. But before I do that, do you guys have any um, sort of stray observations that you wanted to get in there before I get to kind of the fun facts and last but not least, you know, a reading, a very special reading series that I've uh, pulled out. Oh, beautiful. I, I'm just kind of running through my list. I do. I did. I, I was, I, I had fun watching the stuff about, uh, shirtless fights <laughs> oh how, yeah like oh, that, yeah. that was just really fun to watch and them talking about uh oh who was it like rob ray yeah yes would just find a way to like take a shirt off as to, as a like a stunning tactic or something i forget um well sort of like an, yeah because like if you take your shirt off you can't no one can grab you right exactly so you can't punch the guy because yeah. you just all slide around on ice yeah i i love that <laughs> there there's a there was a funnier i like on my third or whatever rewatch it was there's a part where i think um uh, jeff merrick's talking about how like the hardest time uh that brad may was ever hit or whatever it wasn't in a fight it was when he accidentally turned into matt sundin and matt sundin wasn't trying to hit him but he hit him really hard and then they cut to the clip of it and matt sundin is charging with all of his force <laughs> and driving upwards with his shoulder into brad may's like unexpected face but, oh that's like, great like I said, like there's there's parts of this movie where you're like you genuinely have to wonder if the documentarians like were just so excited at the content that they had that they weren't even like thinking about the clips they were using in relation to the quotes they had gotten. They were just super stoked to have talked to a bunch of NHLers about what it was like to be a fighter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's I, there's a lot of stuff that like there's a lot of stray observations I have written down here. Um one of the things that I thought was funny was that they talk about how like well, the first NHL game ever in an arena had fighting. And my first thought was like, okay, yeah, but it didn't have forward passes or helmets. <laughs> so like, what does this have to do with anything? Um, and then I did, I, I do just want to like, bef- just right before we get to the last part. I have here, one more thing too. I, I also just wanted to like dig in a little bit more on um, the like sort of expert panelists that they talk to. Um, like, just they get into a lot of like really dubious Evo Psych like bullshit with the um, oh I love yeah. the Evo Psych with the bullshit. the Bloom guy and also with like the the just sort of like you know like sub Paul Giamatti looking guy from HockeyFights.com <laughs> oh that um, guy, yeah and like one I, I don't really have like anything to say other than just like. It's weird how horny is how horny these guys get, and like the part where Bloom. I thought you weren't going to talk about that guy because he's your old coworker. Oh <laughs> no, I certainly don't care. I the you want to know something oh, funny? Out, you want to know something funny about HockeyFights.com? So the Nation Network owns HockeyFights.com, right? Oh, I did not know that. It fucking slays all of the other websites <laughs> in terms of page views. Um, but uh, the, the the part where Bloom says like. Hockey's not played on the ice. Hockey's played on hormones. 
And I was like, okay, dude. <laughs> um, awesome. He's a like, very Shaw. passionate man. That, that yeah. Bloom. Um, We're going to get to the uh, Seattle Sockeyes novel series later on, but you need to jack up that <laughs> Patreon for those books. Um, and, and just, I, I wanted to, this is a, uh, like a, just a funny little, um, like little fun fact or whatever. You know, that one shot, the black and white shot of the psychologist who's talking about intimidation. Um, so he's talking about intimidation and he just says like, you know, the goal of intimidating, intimidating someone is to dominate them and oh, to yeah. like, um, impose your will on that person. And like, what? so I looked that guy up and his area of expertise is like war crimes and genocide. And so I can almost guarantee you that that interview clip that they took was him saying like, why this is bad. And they like took it and re and they almost certainly took it and repurposed it to be like, here's why intimidating and dominating people is cool. <laughs> no, like Cody, this is exactly yeah. what you were saying. This is, they were so hyped to have this guy on. They didn't think like, because of who he is and what he studies, this really goes against our theme, our thesis. Yeah, because you really think about it, they're like, okay, they got Jerome Aginla for this documentary, and he's in for 13 seconds of it. Yeah. So <laughs> so what opinions did Jerome Aginla have other than like how he wished he had a guy to beat the shit out of people on the ice while he was there? Like They must have been counter to the thesis that they had in their minds, or they asked him a single question and said, okay, bye. <laughs> yeah, it's it, that's an interesting question. Like, I wonder what got left on the cutting room floor there. Well, I messaged George LaRock and I asked him why he wasn't included in the documentary, but he hasn't gone back to me. But when he does, <laughs> I, I'll come back for Roxy Fever Part 2. The act yeah. Absolutely. Uh, George LaRock, by the way, my favorite NHL enforcer, hands down. Oh, he's um, so cool. Cool, extremely cool guy. Tried to unionize the CHL, uh, and also ran uh, for like some riding in Quebec as a like as like a Green Party person. And like normally, I would be like eh, Green Party, but like George Larock <laughs> being in the Green Party is like cool because <laughs> it's just like what? you know he 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 was just like oh yeah, I like the environment. <laughs> yeah, I love trees. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm not Scott Parker. The anti Scott Parker. I'm just, I'm just imagining both. those two guys yes. fighting, but only because like George Larocque was mad at him for what he did to trees. Yeah. Hey, but hey, yeah. what are the enforcers for? Yeah. Did we both say it at the same time? Yes. The second time. <laughs> awesome. That rules. Uh, I had I, I had two small uh, points. One was when you said the Giamatti thing. Uh, I really. <laughs> Like, this will only be funny for us, but I want to make a meme where it's, like, the Giamatti smiling, or G Giamatti not smiling, and it's two players not fighting, and then it's Giamatti smiling, <laughs> it's two players fighting. Yeah, that's good. No, that's good. Uh, the other thing I, I just remembered was that Brett Hall said something like, oh, at a hockey game, there's only two times that fans stand up scoring goals and when, when, when fights happen. And I'm like, does Brad Hall hate anthems? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that rules! I didn't, I didn't expect him to be a hero on the subject. That's but... so good. I hope that's true. <laughs> you should have had JD no, on this podcast. Yeah, he. Well, I, I mean, I genuinely like. I know this for a fact that that's what he said. Like I, he was saying it because he said like scoring goals. I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, one of them has got to be a net. Like it didn't make sense, or you'd have to say three for it to make sense. <laughs> that's really and he funny. Didn't say anthems. So. Um, the the funny thing too is like. There's evidence that uh, Brett Hull does not care about nationalism ah. because he 
is technically Canadian, but he couldn't get on the Canadian national team, so he was just like, fuck it, I'll play for the U.S., <laughs> which is honestly a G move. Like, I love I, I love when people do that, when they're just like, like, you know, like Nigel Dawes just being like, I'm from Kazakhstan now. <laughs> Kazakhstan. Yeah. I'm Kazakhstani um, now. My one last point before I move into the fun fact and reading series portion of the show is uh, I just loved when George Perros said, like, uh, you know, guys, they get uh, sent up or they go up to the NHL and get sent down all the time. It's free market economy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just I, I thought that was a great line. Um, so my uh, my first like course of action while I was doing the research for the ep- this episode was just to kind of look at um, the social media presences of the guys who are featured in this movie. Um, would you be surprised to find out that Riley Cote and Todd Fedorik are huge into legal weed and CBD? <laughs> it's Not just, at I mean, all. Not for Todd. About, yeah, just about that all shirt about. is 100% a CBD guy shirt. Um, I also found out that uh, Colton Orr is the NW is uh, the coach of the NWHL's Connecticut Whale, right. which I thought was really cool. Um, oh, I also did a little bit of uh, I had to do a lot of digging actually for this. But do you guys remember uh, the part where Aaron Asham fights Jay Beagle and he just fucking knocks him out and <laughs> yeah. then makes a gesture like st- a sleeping gesture? <laughs> yeah, I looked that up to see if he got oh suspended for that. I didn't see anything, but that he was... didn't. But it did cause uh, a minor stir. Oh. But uh, he seems really cool. I guess he's he's Métis, and so he does a lot of um, like ad, like sort of like indigenous awareness raising and activism and stuff. And so I thought that was really cool. Uh, I'm kind of bummed that Jordan Tutu wasn't featured in this movie because he's like a right. super fascinating guy. the The funny thing about um, Enforcers is that they really seem to like. Like, the most reactionary and the most, like, left-wing guys in the league are always enforcers. Like, <laughs> it's just, like, the, that sort of duality. Like, um, I... Uh, yeah, like the whole Tom Sestito thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, the the <laughs> one other really funny thing that I found was I was uh, just scrolling through who Gino Ochik follows on Twitter. Oh, no, don't, please. No, no one bad, but... <laughs> I, I I don't know, like, I don't know why he follows, because he doesn't follow any other accounts like this, but one of the ladies he follows is just, like, all the shit on her Twitter is just about, like, hot wifing and, and like, <laughs> stuff. <laughs> and, like, it's, it's funny because it's just, like, it's just this one lady, and he seems to mostly only follow, like, people he knows. So I feel like it's probably just like awesome. it's probably just a lady he knows, but I was just like, oh my god, that's so funny! It's so funny if Gino Ochik is like some couple's ball. <laughs> 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 that fucking rules if that's the case. But um, oh my god, uh, the the one uh. last thing that I found that I thought was absolutely hilarious was just um. Uh, Kelly Chase's bio on Twitter is just three beautiful, three great healthy sons. <laughs> yeah, <I saw> that. <laughs> which is just like uh, beautiful. Um, so my last order of business here before we sign off is obviously hands down hero of the movie Scott Parker, and we were all drawn to him immediately. And and it was you know we we talked before the show and it was obvious that we all liked him a lot. 
And so I, I was, I was like, okay, I'm going to do some research on this guy. And I found an interview with him from 2012 with Mile High Hockey, which I believe is the uh, SB Nation site for the Colorado Avalanche. And there's some great little tidbits in here that were awesome for a number of different reasons. Uh, he like calls. Bob Hartley, a, a dickhead, and like <laughs> talks about how he hates Ron Wilson, <laughs> um, which is great. But the best section of the interview is uh, the whoever conducted the interview at Mile High Hockey. Sorry, I forget your name. Asks or doesn't even ask him. He just mentions the Todd Bertuzzi, Steve Moore incident. Oh baby, and oh baby, Scott had some thoughts. And uh, I'm just going to read them to you. So the context for this is the Mile High Hockey guy says, hey, I still boo every time Bertuzzi touches the puck. Even when I'm at home watching on TV, I boo. So Scott Parker says, yeah, yeah. He's a good man. He is. He is. I mean, he got dealt some bad cards. And the thing is, Steve Moore always thought he was better than everybody else. <laughs> He went to Harvard. You know what? <laughs> he went to Harvard. You know what? Blow me. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. College grad. I never went to college, but I could kick your ass. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Naturally. Oh my I'll God. bring you right down to my IQ level if you want. <laughs> I'll hit you four times in the skull. That'll bring you right down. <laughs> So, you know, Todd, Todd just, it was one of those games. Marcus Nasland, the captain of the Canucks, gets taken out. It was a little sketchy what happened, but hey, then more he fought. I think Cook came after him and then he fought, which wasn't really a fight. Todd wasn't really thrilled with it. They were losing. I think it was 8-1 to one in their home barn. You don't do that in Canada. <laughs> um, Holy shit. And then he says... And Todd. Oh yeah, because because uh, the uh, the cook fight was, was in Colorado. It was right? in it was in Colorado, and then they came back to Vancouver. <laughs> and he says, and Todd, he might have gone overboard. And what's crazy is even talking to him after the fact and talking to Mo Morris and other boys that were in that saw what happened. I watched that tape about a hundred times, and just the way <laughs> Todd hit him, and he actually grabbed him to soften his blow when he went down. And what happened yes. was when Mo landed on him. He actually hit the back of his neck and it actually popped up, you know, just the way oh, Todd fuck. was holding him. <laughs> but, you know, God. it wasn't vicious. It was just, it was the heat of the moment. It was one of those things where you, you got to do something, but you don't know if it's going to be big or if it's going to be small or how it's going to pan out, but you want to do something. <sighs> and Todd, he might oh, not have been God. right and it might have been a little overboard, but, you know, <sighs> he did something. I mean, <laughs> at least he responded. At least he tried. I know he's marked now. People hate him, and it's amazing what that can do to a man, too. It can make you feel feel this small, you know? And he's not a bad man. He's a great guy and a good family guy, and he just got marked. It's one of those things. And then Mal well, he says, life's not fair, that's for sure. <laughs> and then Scott Parker says, no, and it's amazing. You can bang all the hot chicks in the world, but you fuck one goat and you're a goat fucker. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> wow. 
So it's that whole thing where you can do so much good, but do you do one bad thing and you're marked forever? But hey, unfortunately, it never goes away. So you heard it from Scott Parker himself, a guy who was on that team. Todd Bertuzzi did nothing wrong. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Scott Parker was on that he team? He was on the Avalanche. At one point, yeah, yeah. Not- Holy f- No, he wasn't. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he, he was. was. Yeah, he was. He Not was, that season. Not that season, but he was on it before. He was the Avalanche shortly before, before that. He played with most of those guys. Yeah. And he, yeah, played, he played with, with Steve Moore. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. That, that's how you know, like, the other Avalanche players, like, didn't like him either. <laughs> I know. Oh, like, my like, God. I don't want to go too, too hard on this because, obviously, like, it's very yeah. controversial. But I just thought it was so funny that instinctively both of you guys <laughs> – we're, we're like, yeah, I love Scott Parker. And then I found this, and it's just like, would you believe that Scott Parker is a Todd Bertuzzi truther? <laughs> Makes so much sense. Yeah, oh, man. He's coming on the show. That's a beautiful quote. It's It was like, oh. like just most guys wish they had that kind of personality. Like... <laughs> Yeah, I just yeah. I and I mean like I I honestly like I respect it because that's on an inter that's an interview with an Avalanche fan blog, <laughs> yeah. and he's like, look, I got to be honest with you, man. Steve Moore, not a great guy, <laughs> and you know I mean Canucks fans say it all the time, but I do kind of think that um, it was the aftermath of the 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 admittedly dirty play, but it was uh it was the aftermath that really made it scary and bad for him. Um, but yeah, I thought it was oh, fucking man. hilarious, and I knew you guys would lose your shit when I found and, that. So, and that, sorry, Thank you, you so said much, that Jackson. that interview was from 2012, so that's only what like seven years after the, uh, or no, seven yeah. or eight years or whatever. Seven or so eight it was years, like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So Bertuzzi yeah. was probably still in the league at that point. Oh, yeah, oh absolutely. Yeah, for sure was. So yeah. that's He's like a pretty bold the Red statement to come out where you're just like, I'll beat the shit out of more. <laughs> I don't <laughs> like him, and he's smarter than me. Yeah, uh, so just such a Chad fucking move. <laughs> yeah. So alpha, I love yeah. it. Like, it, and, and like more. Like, what is uh, more doing now? Like, he still has like Lawsuits. like. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. they like, finally just, they finally just, what, ju- jumping in front of cars. <laughs> 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 All he's, right, like well, that guys, he's like those guys in those uh, videos of like Russian like dash cams where they're just like jumping on moving cars, like trying to sue them after the fact. <laughs> Oh man! All right. Well, oh, what a, what a, what a what a fun I uh, I was so proud of myself when I found that. I want to thank you, Cody, for coming on the show. Yeah, this is I'm great, super. Yeah. I'm just like really excited to just have you on again when uh, when the AHL is in the news or we have something to talk about. But I think <laughs> this is the most fun I've had doing an episode in maybe ever, but certainly in a while. This was this was great content to go over. For my first run with Roxy Fever, <laughs> yeah, I was so stoked to be like invited on. So I was like, "Oh man, what are we gonna talk about?" And then uh, it was like, "Oh, we're gonna talk about goons." And I was like, "Oh my god, beautiful!" <laughs> and yeah, then the number Scott one Parker. Vinny Arsenault fan uh, here to represent, but the the number one Arsenault and Patrick Palmer stand the, a, a bit a bit of the opposites, you know? Oh yeah, the two genders truly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Where can people find you? Uh, that's a good question. I haven't looked at my site in a long time. Keep uh, me at Twitter at Cody Sievertson or the Comets Harvest WordPress dot com. Fantastic. Um, yeah, uh, I just want to give one as one last note. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, you will probably enjoy our bonus episodes on the Patreon feed. It is very much in the vein of what we did today. Um, Focusing, we focus a lot on you know moments from Canucks history, 
And um, yeah, you can find us at patreon.com slash roxyfever. Five bucks a month gets you access to usually one or two heritage minutes per month. And those are basically... And, and those and those are long episodes. They are. Those are like, those are full length episodes. They're not... They're like, not we, we thought. Yeah, they're not minutes. Maybe at the beginning when you're talking, we were just like, oh, we'll do like 10 minutes on uh, Artem Chubarev's car. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> We, we have done very long episodes. Totally. So, I think as yeah. we um, as we do get more and more into the minutia of Canucks history, we might, it might start looking like um, short more episodes per month, but they're shorter. Um, but yeah. no, like the last three or four we've done have all been like at least 45 minutes, if not an oh, hour, easily. hour and 15 yeah. minutes. So the yeah. most recent one we did was on Russian players, and it was a total blast. If you liked the uh, Scott Parker quotes that I was able to pull, you will all probably like oh, the boy. Sergei Shirokov reading series that we did. Yeah, yeah, Sergei Shirokov is a Canucks hero after that episode. Like, at some point, we're going <laughs> to, I'm sure we're going to release that on like, like in a year or something, we'll release on a regular feed, because it's like, or at least that part. Just that Shirokov. Yeah, part you know what? It's just juicy. I'll um, I'll put it out as a teaser soon because yeah. it's because it's fantastic. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, if you if you enjoy the show, consider kicking us five bucks a month to get that. Um, it goes mostly towards uh, like administrative hosting kind of costs, mm-hmm. and um, I'm trying to set something very cool up right now. No, not going to give that away, but uh, your money helps a lot with that. So, um. Thanks for listening, and yeah, we're thinking about buying the large cast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just, just an acquisition. So, uh, well, yeah, a hostile acquisition. Um, consider doing that and direct your. He doesn't have a Twitter account, but maybe just like find Brian McGratton's address and send your hate mail there. <laughs> <laughs>